On your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the sixth edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, we cross the Apple Isle and chat with Amanda Sweeney from the Launceston Football Club. They're still celebrating that Division 1 Premiership down at the Peanut Farm and we chat with St Kilda Sharks President Karen Rolfe. And we head across to WA and find out what happened in the draft game with Nikki Harwood. All that and more on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Happy Easter, everyone. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for joining us on the sixth edition of the podcast. And a shout-out to the crew at girlsplayfooty.com. Thanks to Matt and Katie for hosting our podcast, girlsplayfooty.com radio, which will be on the webpage very soon, and the girlsplayfooty.com app coming very, very soon, hopefully in a week or so. And also a big thank you to all those who uh, liked our previous podcast, including Margot Legault, uh, Georgie Taylor, Meg Ballantyne, Leonie Butler, Sasha Doherty, C. DJ Crammy, David Burke, uh, Linda Hickey, Katie Brennan, William Shanks, David Gordon, uh, Catherine Smith, Jade Albert Spognolo, I hope I got that right, uh, uh, Janice Chamberlain, Peter Barnes, Maggie Jockin, and uh, Kale Cesarain. Thank you very much for your support. Now let's head across the Apple Isle. Let's head down to Tasmania and the Tasmanian Women's League, which hasn't been going for all that long, surprisingly. It started back in 2007, which is extraordinary, considering that the Victorians Women's Football League, for example, has been going since 19. And we know how passionate about footy the Tasmanians are. So with Amanda McSweeney on the line, a founding member of the Launceston's women's side, who are one of the two founding clubs of the league, uh, tell us, how did it all start back in 2007? Yeah, we had a, a couple of girls that moved over to Tasmania. Um, one was in Launceston, one was in Hobart. And they basically got together and wanted to play women's footy. So that's sort of how we started. Uh, a bit of ad- advertisement and the girls sort of come out of the woodworks and... Yeah, we, that's how our two teams started. Was it a bit surprising uh, for you to find out that it had taken so long for a women's league to develop? I mean, if I look, I guess, back at the Victorian League, that had been going since 81, so it's almost been some 25 years later till Tassie had its own women's league. Yes, very surprising. Obviously, everyone knows um, how um, pretty keen Tassie is, so it was, was very surprising, and it's something that me personally has always wanted to do, but um, didn't quite know how to had to go about it, so it's great, great that these two young ladies come over and um, sort of pointed us in the right direction. Uh, do you still remember the uh, first meeting of uh, the, the Launceston women's side being formed? Yeah, basically it was a training session um, in one of our local ovals. We got probably 10 to a dozen people. Um, I had a mate that took us through a few tra- training sessions and, yeah, we just grew week by week and basically put an ad in the paper for which... Um, team would like to have a women's side and that's how we got to Launceston. Was it tough going there in those early years because um, it wasn't a fully fledged league back then, I think it was just yourself and Clarence that were playing each other. Yes, that's correct. Uh, yeah, it was pretty tough um, but just really good communication and just a few practice matches that, you know, we sort of got going, met um, a few times and then we had the opportunity to actually play, play a bit of a game at half time, one game down in Hobart, so it sort of just blossomed from there really. And then, of course, uh, over the years, uh, more sides were added to the competition. But uh, there was a bit of a change, wasn't there, last year with, with some of the clubs that started up with their own uh, respective town or suburb names, uh, I wouldn't say merging, but more aligning with uh, the men's Tasmanian State League clubs. Yeah, that was, that's always been the aim, to try and get the women's side uh, aligning with the statewide team. And obviously Launceston's a member of our statewide league down here. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the aim of I think AFL Tasmania for that to happen, and that's 
that's um, basically slowly progressing um, along that line. So, yeah, once uh, the connection is there, it'll be really good. Currently at the moment, you're sitting with the seven teams in the uh, TWL. Do you see that expanding shortly? It should be expanding. We have a couple of more statewide men's sides that actually haven't got an alliance yet, so uh, that's what we're looking at. Um, we currently have a side that is actually in our, one of our country leagues that's looking at maybe they'll be in the competition the first time this year, but I think down the track, AFL is looking to align them with a the statewide team. So numbers looking at uh, being from seven to eight this year? Uh, no, it'll be seven. We unfortunately had one actually pull out, which was uh, one of the Hobart sides, but hopefully next year we should be up to nine with a bit of luck. And, of course, last year for uh, Launceston, finishing third. It was actually a logjam between third, fourth and fifth, only uh, percentage separating yourselves. Unfortunately, uh, you couldn't carry on past the first week. No, we couldn't. Um, when full-time blue, we actually thought we were in front. But uh, once the umpires actually got together, it was actually a draw. So we had to play extra time each end, and unfortunately we just um, couldn't get over the line. Coming up to season 2015, a couple of points being announced in the local press uh, uh, and uh, relatively new people to your club as well. Matthew Cornish uh, becoming coach and, and uh, Megan Keeley captain for this year. Yeah, Matthew actually coached us last year, but he's, he's um, doing it again this year, which is really great because um, he's a really experienced local coach. And Megan, yeah, she played with us last year, moved down from the northwest coast and actually had a really great year last year, made the state team and actually, um, yeah, had a had a fantastic year and and um, as, as, and the captaincy this year. Well, with Matthew's second year at the club, has he identified, I guess, from last year what you need to look at improving on to try and go the next step? Yeah, he has. So, I mean, last year we concentrated a real, real life on fitness. Um, this year we've, we really, really knuckled down on, on our game plan and our, our skills. So we've got a lot of young girls this year that, have, that are only 14, 15, 16. So we've um, really got a work on the skills and just get them integrated into our club and make it a really good atmosphere for them. Now, uh, later on this year in the Queen's Birthday weekend, uh, Tasmania will be taking on uh, Queensland again in a state versus state match. Uh, who are you hoping from your club might be uh, selected in that Tasmanian side? Yeah, well, we had uh, in this Tasmanian side last year, we had uh, four girls selected. So obviously um, those four, which included Megan, as well as a couple of... Um, uh, Angela, Angela Dixon and Jeanette Seringo and Kiara Foley so hopefully they'll be there again although Kiara has crossed over to another team this year but she should be there about we've got a couple of young good girls coming through as in um, Courtney Webb and Ash Bowen that you know she could be a real chance so we're hoping to get a few in so you know the girls are sort of heading in the right direction they've had really good pre-season so hopefully we can we can sort of make a bit of an impact when it comes to state just looking at the ladder as well, you've got this, uh, just above you some successful sides like the Bernie Dockers and Clarence. Uh, particularly with Clarence, there's won so many premierships. What do you think the secret is? What, what keeps them at the top of the table? I think it's just um, um, keeping your players and, and having a, a really good coach that knows, knows the abilities of all the players and, and what they're capable of doing. And you know, Over the years, Clarence have, have kept their real core of players and now it's just starting now because they've all got a little bit older and starting to retire. So that'll, that'll test their coach who's been there for a number of years, but he's, he's very experienced and I'm sure he'll get them back in the right direction. And, of course, you've got a bit of rivalry down the road with uh, Devonport, who, uh, of course, uh, you just kept out of the fall last year. They're coming along uh, in leaps and bounds. I believe they've even uh, announced this week they're going to have a, uh, a, football de- a female football development officer. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I think it was... 
Leon, I think, uh, or this year and late last year, I think it was looking doubtful whether Devonport actually had a women's side. But I think with the appointment of, of um, Danielle, it certainly opened up opened up lots of opportunities for, women, for the young girls and women up that way. So hopefully she can um, steer them in the right direction and they can get a lot of players just jumping on board. So it would be good to, good to keep them in the competition. Now time to head back to Victoria as we catch up with another one of the uh, six Victorian Women's Football League Premier Division clubs. This time we head across to the Peanut Farm because the ground's obviously called Peanut Farm Reserve in St Kilda, not too far away from Luna Park. The St Kilda Sharks last year fielded two sides in the league. They are now fielding three sides, a Premier Division side, a Division 1 side and now a Division 3 side. The Division 1 side, of course, took out the flag last year with their captain and president, Karen Ralph. Karen, has the party stopped since the Division 1 flag last year? Uh, look, you know, it's something that obviously still gets mentioned, you know, very occasionally at training. But um, look, with the new season coming up in, what, less than two weeks now, I think we've probably got to look forward and uh, not rest on our laurels because, you know, with 10 teams, particularly in Division 1, I think uh, we'll be we'll be headhunted a little bit. So we need to be on our game. As strange as it sounds, there's some pros and cons in winning a flag, isn't there? One, obviously, it creates a winning culture, and that's, and that's good for the club going forward. But in some occasions, it allows some players, I guess, the, the op, uh, ideal note to bow out on. Yeah, look, we, we definitely had a few girls talking about sort of stepping aside last year. And, you know, I was one of them myself. And I, I, I mean, I haven't regretted coming back to pre-season training just yet, but... You know, ask me in the middle of June when it's freezing cold and I'm I'm sore and, and hurting, and we'll we'll see. But um, really, we only at the moment have had one player uh, really step aside, which was Annette Azumanian, who was you know vice president and and vice captain last year, and she's actually now stepped into a coaching role. So uh, thankfully, we've still kept her knowledge of the game, you know, fairly close by. Heading into uh, season 2015, you've made the big call to go for three sides. How's it been trying to get those extra numbers up so you can have a side now in Division 3? Yeah, look, it's, I think we've got... I spoke to Anne Ralton, who is one of our team managers, treasurer, last night, and we have 80 registered players, um, which obviously, you know, fits perfectly well with a few extras, you know, into three teams. But it's hard to know... Until you get to the season, it's hard to know exactly who's going to fit where and... You know, with training sessions, you might get 40 here and 40 there. And, you know, there's 20 different people between each of those groups. So um, we have done more advertising this year than we've done previously. You know, previously with two teams, we've managed to field them really easily. Um, I guess the area of St Kilda is, is very much like a, a walk-through, you know, fairly social area. So we often were able to pick up players um, pretty simply. But, um, yeah, this year we've done we've done a little bit more advertising, I think, I think that we'll we'll be okay, and you know players always come out of the woodworks, you know when uh, when the season gets very close. So we've we've had a couple of extra players even in the last probably four or five days say that they're coming to training this week. So um, it'll be exciting to have a really good bunch of new girls, and and also not having to you know encourage people to go elsewhere because you know we're already full. So you know it's great that we can pretty much accept all levels of, of footy players, which is great. I guess the next toughest challenge is logistics because there could be mm. times, considering that it's not an even draw in every division, there could be times where all three sides could be at all different venues. Yeah, so we, we have had a look at the draw. And look, I, I imagine with the VWFL, I, I wouldn't want the job of, of trying to figure out the draw, that, uh, the draw that's for sure. Um, and there's most on most occasions, we, we will be able to sort of attend each other's footy games um, logistically, yeah, it is difficult. You know, there's times where there's going to be 
um, some of the teams playing by themselves. And so essentially they then have to take their whole own group of support staff as in water runners, boundary runners, etc. So that does make it difficult. But um, And I guess the other part of that is, you know, if Division 1 is playing on Saturday in North Geelong uh, and Division 3 and Premier Division are playing on the Sunday, are those girls want to spend their whole weekend, you know, driving to Geelong, watching footy, spending Sunday all at footy, playing and stuff as well. So it does, you know, it definitely stretches the girls' um, commitment, I suppose, in a way as well. Uh, of course, you've had uh, Lloyd Belshaw as coach last year. He's uh, mm-hmm. will be on board again for season 2015, but new appointments for Division 1 and obviously for your new Division 3 team. Yeah, so sort of stepping up in, in Division 1, yeah, oh, sorry, in Premier Division, we did, um, we've, we've kept Lloyd. We've also had Santa Lucia, who has been an assistant coach with us previously, sort of stepping up with a bit more responsibility in Premier Division. And Lauren Baisley, who's a long-term, um, you know, elite women's AFL player. She's played state, um, et cetera. She's, she's also assisting with the seniors. And in the reserves, yeah, brand-new team. So uh, Andrew Kalia, who has done some um, statistician work at the Frankston Dolphins. He came aboard last year as an assistant coach and he stepped up into um, an assistant coaching role in Div 1. And as I said before, Annette Arzumanian, um, our previous player, is with the the two, so with Division 1. And with our third, um, one of our life members, uh, Cassandra Brooks, again, she's a 200-game player um, within the VWFL. Um, she's going to step into the role and continue with as coach of the third. So... Look, it's it's exciting to keep, you know, some of those players around that have, you know, been at the club for the past 15 years. So, and look, Casper, as we know her, she'll, I think she's going to be exceptional for the three. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's you know, really looking forward to it. And uh, on the playing uh, track, you've got two co-captains this year. You've got uh, Sarah Chapman along now with Phoebe McWilliams. Yeah, yeah. So, look, in that whole leadership group in the seniors, I think... Um, Sarah Chapman's probably the one that's been around, I think, for the longest. Um, you know, I think she's been uh, captain or co-captain for this will be her fourth season now. So Phoebe is new in. Moana Hope is new. Uh, Lauren Baisley is also taking a leadership role. Penny Cooler-Reed, who, you know, has been around women's VWFL for a long time. And Mia, Mia Clifford, who is fairly new to the game, but is just amazing in the back line. So I think... You know, between, you know, Chappie and Phoebe, I think we've got a pretty much a perfect leader with those two in combination. Um, Phoebe's obviously played elite-level football and has had elite-level coaching, and I think she can bring, um, you know, that knowledge of the game to, you know, to the rest of the players. And um, as far as Chappie goes, you don't find someone that's tougher at the ball than Chappie. So she's a real a real person that really leads on the field, throws her body around, and just does those one-percenters that you need. So, like I said, I think in combination, the two of them are just, you know, you know almost a perfect, you know, perfect footballer. Hey, you talk about that uh, being under that professional coaching. Uh, how have you seen the girls on the track leading through the off-season? Um, it's been said in the past that the Sharks are more of a, of a social footy club going years back. That's changed over the last couple of years, particularly now for some of the more elite girls with that carrots there to play for either Melbourne or the Bulldogs in the AFL Women's Exhibition match. How much has the, uh, the type of training and the attitude off the field to prepare for the season changed? Yeah, as you, look, as you said, the the option for the girls to play elite-level football is something that really entices them to get the best out of themselves. And, you know, even with having some of those elite players able to train with some of the TAC sides is, you know, is exceptional. Um, and we've got a lot of juniors, I think, coming through now as well who just, 
even at youth girls level, you know, have had that really exceptional sort of training and um, and you can tell, look, the way girls prepare their bodies, I think the number of support staff that you need off the field as far as, you know, trainers and physios and, you know, we've had our, our trainers doing, um, you know, basically really experienced testing of the girls to see, you know, where there's deficiencies and what specific training we need to strengthen our bodies specific to the women's game. So, you know, the Sharks definitely, you know, not to say that we don't, you know, get out there and still have a great time socially, but I think... You know, probably over the past five or six years, a focus has definitely been on our, you know, off-field, I guess, performance. Um, and that, in turn, has allowed us an opportunity to then, you know, sort ourselves and set ourselves up off the field with, you know, good sponsors and a good good number of players. And now, you know, now the focus is definitely on, you know, on winning premierships. So, you know, we managed that last year with Division One. The seniors also um, got into the finals. So we want to obviously keep moving forward with that. And I was having a look at your transfers page as well, seeing quite a number of youth girls now obviously coming into your yeah. side. And that's why you picked up a player from Sydney, uh, one from SA and Carly Potter. And uh, yep. a big one you got across from Melbourne Uni, Alan Guanti, you managed to uh, snare. Yeah, look, to be honest, I don't know that... Well, I mean, I definitely didn't have anything to do with that. Um, I think sometimes, I guess, with women's footy, because, you know, there's no contracts, there's no payments and mm. things like that. Um, and it's a game you have to play really because you love because uh, you love it, you know, I think at times girls will transfer to other clubs because that's, you know, that's where they see their friendship groups as well. And I know that Al's got a couple of plays she's very close to at the Sharks. Um, but then look with the youth girls, again, we've been really fortunate that East East Malvern um, youth girls team, which is a extremely successful youth girls uh, competition at club, a few of those girls have come across to us this year. Um, and as I said, they've been exceptionally coached and so they're really well drilled with the game of AFL. And unlike, you know, some of us who are a little bit older who picked up the game at, you know, age 30, these girls have been taught, you know, the, the game of football since they've been, you know, 13 and 14. And, you know, seamlessly, they've come into the club seamlessly and just taken on the drills and taken on the commitment. Like I said, it's seemingly with no effort, which is fantastic. Uh, you were mentioning earlier about sponsors. Since the increased exposure of women's football over the last couple of years, has it been easy to go out there and get them signing on the dotted line? Yeah, I, th- I think so. You know, um, it's still look. It's, it still is difficult. You know, you don't want to also spread yourself too thin with um, how many sponsors you do have because you obviously want to be able to commit and get those long-term sponsorships. Um, but you know, I've you know I've had conversations with brand new um, sponsor options, and and they've been really well versed in in the women's game and and the coverage that the women's game of you know has achieved. So I think you know VWFL um, run previously, now obviously AFL Victoria taking over. Um, I think it's it's definitely helpful, and and like I said, where we don't have to tend to sell you know, our club as as hard as we probably have sold it previously because people are aware of the women's game. And before we let you go, I want you to see if you can make a bold prediction. Uh, you played 12 games last year in a home and away season. It's now 15 games. Is that enough games to allow Mo Hope to kick the 100? I Look, I don't see why not. So my maths isn't great, but I think she probably averaged about seven goals um, a season last season. And I guess... You know, predicting, you know, that our uh, seniors are going to make the grand final, that gives her an extra two games as well, doesn't it? So, <laughs> um, so let's say with 17 games, I think she'll, be, she'll uh, be able to cover that. However, I guess the other part of that is that, um, 
you know, Mo's had a season behind her working with our other forwards. And, you know, you've got Amy Catterall, Georgia Harris, Phoebe McWilliams, um, you know, Mousy, who's, you know, a really smart forward. So I would imagine this year also we're going to have a, a fair share of goal kickers and, you know, that can only make us, a, you know, a better forward line and a better team. So I think, like I said, I think Mo will probably still get the bulk of the goals, but I think you'll see that there'll be others around the 30, 40 goal mark as well, which would be, you know, really pleasing to see. Now, finally, we're less than a few weeks away from the 2015 AFL Women's Draft to find out who will be selected to play for Melbourne or the Bulldogs this year. First of two drafts, I should say. And uh, over the weekend in WA, they had their draft trial match between the uh, WA Talent Academy and the WA All-Stars. And that's why I've got on the line Nikki Harwood from the WA Female Talent Academy. She's the head coach. So, Nikki, tell us about your role and how the players come under your charge. Um, I've been the um, head coach for two years now at the Talent Academy. And uh, my role is basically just to assist in the development um, of the girls over all aspects of the game. So that could be skills, it could be um, mental toughness, it can be strength and conditioning, injury management, nutrition, just um, basically everything that um, that footballers need to, to know. So the way they get involved with us is that the girls um, are identified um, throughout the season as having um, potential or being elite footballers and um, they could possibly benefit from this program. So... WA obviously has a smaller state league compared to the Victorians, but uh, last year alone, the uh, WA Youth Girls were the first time ever knocked off the Big V. What do you put it down to? Why has why WA football come along in leaps and bounds? Um, I think the pathway's been great for, um, for WA. Like girls can now play Auskick and then they can uh, move into school football and, um, and youth girls football. So pathways are really important. Um, and I think a lot of those girls that played in that successful WA team um, were actually playing school girls footy. Um, the thing that also benefited them is that they played together for a couple of years. So I know that that um, had really helped them, that they were young getting into the state team. And also having quality coaches not around them was, was helping them out. Um, you know, immensely, especially you know, with Michelle Cowan um, at the helm last year, was great for them. And, of course, Michelle Cohen, as we know, uh, two zips so far with the Melbourne Demons against the uh, Western Bulldogs. And, of course, she would have been casting her eye over some of the uh, players in the recent WA uh, draft game. Um, how did that pan out? I believe the structure was the uh, Talent Academy versus the All-Stars? Yeah, that's, that was the basic structure. We had a couple of um, Talent Academy girls that played in the All-Stars team, so it was, um, but it was definitely majority Talent Academy versus... Uh, uh, the rest of the girls in the WA Women's Football League who had nominated for the draft. Um, and there was some amazing talent. It was uh, it was a great game. It was, um, I think it was close for about three quarters, uh, which was really good for um, showcasing all of the girls' skills, so regardless of where they were in the forward line or the back line. Um, that was uh, really good that the girls got a good, good go at it. Now, in the Victorian draft game, the uh, players that had already been selected for Melbourne, or should I say retained for Melbourne, and the Bulldogs uh, sat out the game. And in fact, some of them actually coached, including uh, Steph Trotchy and Astor O'Connor. Uh, what happened with the WA girls, such as Chelsea Randall, for example? Did they run around or were they, uh, were they parked aside? No, they, uh, no Kirby, Daddy and um, Chelsea didn't, didn't um, play. Um, yeah, there was no need. I guess once you're selected, there's no need to play again. Um, but I had Kirby on board on my team. She was my runner. Um, and I just wanted that influence of um, somebody that 
had been retained to just come and um, she spoke to the girls before they ran out into the ground and um, and she just she gives some inspiration to the girls. She's a great role model and um, yeah, just to have her involved and to try and inspire the girls to um, to be drafted and to play the best on the day was was really good to have around. And uh, how did the game pan out? Who were some of the better players that stood out that seemed to be some of the up-and-coming WA stars that might be in contention in the draft? Oh, that's difficult. Because we had 10, um, 10 girls playing who had been drafted in 2014. So um, the new players coming through really had to stand out. And um, I would say my picks would probably be Emma King, who uh, played in the rut, and uh, another young girl, Ebony Antonio, uh, played off a half forward, so those people stood out to me. But you, you'd think that um, a majority of those ten from last year who were drafted would probably get redrafted again. And as you mentioned, ten uh, girls from WA being uh, selected last time. Um, I asked the same question of your counterpart in Queensland. Uh, uh, are they setting any KPIs in WA? Any targets of the numbers that you'd like to see drafted, and hopefully a percentage improvement year on year? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think you can put a number on how many you want from each state. I think you just after the best in Australia. Well, that's what I would be looking at anyway. And if, um, if the girls are good enough, then they deserve to get in regardless of where they're from. Well, let's turn our attention just quickly to uh, the WAWFL for season 2015. Uh, last year, of course, Swan Districts uh, taking up the cup over the Coastal Titans. How do you see it panning out this year? Do, can, can Swan Districts retain the cup or will the Coastal Titans return to their usual place at the top of the tree or, or can another side break through? Oh, tough question. I do think that Swan can retain the cup and, and on the switch side, I think that Coastal Titans could possibly knock them off. They're that close um, and they seesaw throughout the season in, in their results that um, anything can happen on the day if I still were to meet in the grand final again. So um, they're both very talented sides. Um, I think that they are uh, a step above any others in the competition. So it'll be very difficult for, um, for Peel or East Fremantle or South Fremantle um, to not knock any of those. Um, teams off. Well, we're just about to wrap things up here on another GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. Before I go, just a quick reminder, if you're from a state outside of Victoria and you'd like to contribute to the GirlsPlayFooty.com uh, website, that's not even having to come on the podcast if you're a bit shy, but you'd like to write, even if it's doing some simple things like sending through some final scores from your league and some better players and goal kickers, we'd be more than happy to have you on board. Just contact Matt via our Girls Play Footy Facebook page. That's Facebook.com forward slash girls play footy or just uh, when you're in Facebook just go into the search column and type girls play footy you'll find us send us a message because uh, we'd like to obviously extend our coverage just beyond Victoria it's been a pleasure having your company before I go make sure you have a happy and safe Easter don't drink and dive and don't have too much chocolate okay stuff it have as much chocolate as you like until next week it's bye for now